is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this is an adult podcast hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language being used. If this might offend ears around you, be sure to pop in your headphones before listening to this episode. So today, Nicole and I will be interviewing Adam Vass. In addition to being a close friend of mine, Adam is an artist, a game designer, and a musician. And today he's joining us from his home in Grand Rapids, Michigan, although soon you will be in a new home. In my home in Grand Rapids. Because congratulations, you just bought a house. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, congrats. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm supposed to move in sometime in the next couple of weeks. It's still like a very fluid thing. But I closed the purchase last week, so um, the real deal now. Killing it. Home ownership. I don't yeah. know that life just yet. Or I don't know when I, I will, don't think I'll but... ever know that life as long as I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so, Adam, are you originally from Grand Rapids or Michigan area? Um, I'm not. I'm originally from a town called Valparaiso in Indiana, and it's about two hours south of here. But there's not a whole lot going on out there. Everyone I know from that time of my life is most most people went to Chicago because it's like the closest urban area to mm. where we grew up. But um, I ended up here because when I was a teenager, I joined uh, La Dispute, which is the band that I'm still in. Um, and they all grew up here. Oh, OK. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Adam, because although this podcast that Amanda and I are doing is focused more around visual arts, you are a multidisciplinary artist. You're a visual artist, a designer and a musician. So I'm really interested to hear how those all inform or influence one another and just how you balance and juggle these um, multiple creative careers. Yeah, I'm hoping I kind of uh, surprise myself with some wisdom about that juggling because I'm not entirely sure how it happens, but yeah, it'll come you're out. You're so in it that it just that's just normal life for you. Yeah. Um, well, could you start out by giving us a little more of a background into uh, your life, maybe some of your earliest creative interests or memories? Sure. Um, I was into visual art since probably middle school in terms of like drawing and um, not not really painting. I would come home after school before my parents got home from work. I would watch the drawing education shows that were on like public access and like Bob Ross kind of stuff. No, no. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to kill me that I don't remember this one's name. But there was this man who would just draw cartoons and like his whole thing was pencil power and he would draw like <laughs> a little person flying a rocket ship but the rocket ship was a pencil and stuff like <laughs> yeah uh, it, it, it was silly but it was well informed and he, he would teach you like here's how you draw a person but you know uh this shape is a circle and this shape is a tube and like uh, it was sort of implementation of fundamentals of visual art that i think Bob Ross didn't really touch on because he was so far past it. This was specifically for kids. So this was like an instructional drawing series that you yeah you would draw you would draw along with him. Oh my gosh! How did I not know about this? That sounds great, and also like it would have been right (laughs) up my alley. So was that how you got into art? Essentially, like you were learning how to draw with this guy on TV. 
I, I always drew um, from early childhood, like with markers and crayons and, and stuff, and just as any kid does. And I think as you get older and you become part of uh, some kind of society, even in elementary school, um, you are either good at it and you continue to do it, or you're told that you're bad at it and you don't do it anymore. I don't know if I got that feedback loop, but I continued to do it and continued to sort of hone in what I wanted. Like, it was monsters and vampires and that sort of stuff. Um, (laughs) And then it was pencil power and, like, animals and wrestling. And then as I got into high school and it was a little bit more refined and I took computer graphics classes for the first time and I was in AP art for a couple years and it had that sort of more normal training, young adult art training. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, in terms of my graphic work and and how I paint, uh, most of that is self-taught at maybe 2021, 20, or I've learned it from watching YouTube or s- stuff like that since then. Mm, yeah. Um, how would you best describe the style in which you work in? I like to make very bold things, um, whether that be in digital, like we were just kind of riffing together before this recording, trying to work on some logo design stuff. And I think uh, that kind of like heavy contrast, thick outlines, things that are on grids, I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas when I paint, I transfer some of that like line structure and line weight stuff. But a lot of my painting is informed by uh, American traditional tattoo artists and that sort of style of heavy black shading and um, the the way that I choose my colors is very influenced from that realm. But in being a freelance designer or an illustrator, I've kind of hopped around quite a bit in terms of what a client wants or or how I can mold my style to fit a job or or a client. Mm-hmm. And how do you find a lot of your jobs? Is it typically people coming to you for contract work or you're like, hey, I love what you have and I'd like to make it look better? Uh, Right now, it's the former for sure. I just let some people come through and it isn't self-sustaining. Like you mentioned earlier, I kind of have a lot of spinning plates Mm -hmm. and design is just one of those things. So um, I'm not super chasing it at the moment. A lot of the contacts I've made for visual art are actually byproducts of my time in music and that industry. And I would go from designing record covers and t-shirts and stuff for bands to other bands that they tour with or bands that we've toured with. Then maybe a fan would see that and they would hire me for their uh, purposes, whatever they they may be. And it's kind of this weird, incestuous uh, cycle of work. Yeah. Do you have yeah. uh, any favorite projects that you've done? I really like um, the. I've got to work in comic books recently. In the last couple of years, I've done some variant covers. And then last year, I wrote and illustrated a short story for Boom Studios, which is an all ages comics publisher. And that's an opportunity I don't think I'd ever have been afforded with my kind of standard workflow and work ethic. Um, I've always been into comics since I was a kid. So to be able to make a comic and then go to my shop and it was there uh, is a very surreal experience. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. In a different way than it is for my record to be in a record store like this. The comic thing, you know, 
is just is more of myself, I think. Yeah. Whereas the band is a collaborative effort. Yeah. Mm. So how long have you been a part of the band that you are now? Can you also just give us a quick history of um, your career as a musician when you got started with that? Sure. Um, I started playing music when I was 14. I, don't, I didn't play in a band for quite a while. I was self-taught. I remember downloading music videos off of Kazaa and uh, <laughs> learning how to play the songs from watching them perform. I am a bass player. I didn't start playing guitar or, or even try until I was probably 21 or 22. played bass for quite a while. In high school, I was the singer of a band. I played keyboard in a band, and I, I don't know how to sing or play keyboards. It was just like a, a crime of convenience, or, or you're hanging out with your friends and they already have a drummer and a guitar player or whatever, and I, I was just there. Right. But I, I joined Lotus Butte in 2007, and uh, I've been in the band since then. We're still still doing our thing. I'm the bass player for that band. So that's going on 10 years then this year, yeah? For me, yep. Um, they were a band for probably a year and a half or so before I joined. Okay. But yeah, that's my... Real, that's my real life. As much as I like to tell people that I am a visual artist or a designer or whatever, my music career is probably my truest self. Yeah. I know I met you, I think, on Mike's first tour and you were doing merch for them, I want to say. Oh, yeah, I did that for a couple of years, <laughs> um, selling merch and doing tour management and that sort of thing. Um, pretty much only for pianos become the teeth. And then a little bit, I, I tried to work for other bands and didn't enjoy it as much. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was more work, but with pianos, it was uh, a, the sort of thing where it was like, I'm hanging out and I can also do this job while I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And you had already had an established friendship with all of right. them. And, yeah. And are you touring pretty regularly now with your band? Um, we have been for the last... 10 years and the first few years of that um i would be gone for eight to ten months out of the year uh now most of our band are married one of them has a child as Mm -hmm. of last fall so i've been off the road um since that since she was born um yeah that's gotta change things yeah Yeah. i'm off for this whole calendar year and it feels totally crazy Uh, i've never been off for this long since i started doing it Mm mm-hmm I've gotten the opportunity from being home to to like make friends for the first time in my real um, adult life. I think, excepting, or I lived in Boston for about five years, and when I moved back to Michigan, um, I didn't know anyone anymore, and I was very much swinging it. I, I live by myself, so um, there were very long stretches of time that I wouldn't speak to or see another person. Now that I'm, I've been here for six months or. Yeah, longer than that now. Um, I can actually become close to other people and like have routines <laughs> and, and do rituals and, and be a part of a community. Yeah. Yeah. Has that created a shift for you creatively also? Um, like I'm interested to hear a little bit about how when you're traveling or touring with your band, are you also just drawing constantly is your visual work at all a part of your life at that time or does it sort of go back and forth depending on whether you're on the road um and so 
what has that shift been like creatively um, for you now that you're um, not traveling as much? When we're on the road, I actually think I work more uh, in terms of doing visual stuff. It could be a product of uh, being in a routine because when you're freelance and you don't work a day job, you can work whenever you want. And sometimes that results in you working from nine at night to three in the morning, or like sometimes you just don't, don't do anything. I'm going to be in my pajamas today. But um, <laughs> yep. on tour, I wake up in the morning and then I don't have to do anything until we load in our equipment in the afternoon. So I have a, a good four to six hours, probably of free time. And that's my favorite time of day. And I uh, find a coffee shop and I sit down and I will actually get things done. And and whether it's uh, paid work or for fun, um, I really enjoy that free time that I'm allotted. And because I'm not home, I can't just like watch a movie or play video games or whatever. I, I kind of like have to go out into the world. And I think that that actually helps me hone my focus and, and get some stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the inverse of that, though, since we've been off, I've gotten into designing tabletop games. And that's something I don't think I'd really be able to get into on tour because just because of like the resources it requires to do some, something like that. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and your yeah. new tabletop game company? Yeah, this is a very, a, a very fresh endeavor for me still. I uh, was just packaging games. Can you elaborate on what you mean by tabletop games also? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I was actually, I was just packaging games in my living room before this call started because I have another game coming out next weekend. Uh, Tabletop games are board games, card games, um, role-playing games, the sort of, you know, everybody played when they were kids, but then I only realized in the last five years or so that um, there are way more games than I ever thought. Um, it's not just uh, Monopoly or whatever that they sell at Walmart. There's this very budding world of strategy games and war games and everything from, you know, a card game that's very light and can take a couple minutes to these kind of like tactical games that will take hours and uh, fantasy games that I've found I really enjoy where I can be someone else in like another world is a really uh, appealing. Escapism is a really nice like thing especially when in our current world um i like to get away and go to another place i guess um but i started designing that recreationally last year um where i was playing these games quite often uh, with different friend groups and different styles of game and then that kind of analytical side of myself thought i really enjoy this game but i don't enjoy this similar game and why is one better than the other? And what makes um, this something that I do enjoy? And kind of breaking it down logistically and mechanically. And when I deconstruct them, I can kind of then take what I do and don't like and what I do and don't understand and sort of make my own things from that. Uh, in a similar way, I guess, to ha- how I learned how to play music from watching other people play music. I learned how games work by playing a ton of other games and um Mm -hmm. this winter i started uh world champ game co where i am designing and illustrating and publishing my own games um which is atypical i've learned for for one person to take on the whole load um it's maybe a little bit much sometimes i think as i'm getting more familiar with it i am going to start trying to distribute some of the work 
to others and become a more more of a collaborator instead of a an individual but it's been really fun and i've designed and now released three games um a board game and two card games do you want to tell us about those games specifically uh i can yeah um the the first game i did was called snow day and um it came out in february it's a two to four player game and uh, players are racing against one another to get from a common point in the center of the game board to their respective home uh, in the furthest corners of the game board by playing cards that have paths on them. And uh, they want to um, create a path that is the shortest from where they are to where they need to be. But other people are also manipulating these paths for their own benefit, and it becomes a sort of take that style race against one another. And then there's also this ever-present cold of winter that um, each time you take a turn, you lose a little bit of health. And uh, if you're not fast enough, then you freeze and you lose the game. Savage. It's uh, <laughs> It went through a lot of design changes as any game or any project at all really um, does. But it's now, and and it's been released. Um, I tried to focus on something that anyone could play. It's quite easy. Uh, I played it with my parents over Christmas break, which was pretty cool. Uh, A cool experience to get to have to share with them. But also the artwork is kind of cute and designy and um, it's meant as an easy access point for any sort of gamer who would. It's not a, a super heavy game. There is some strategy and there is decent amount of thought and planning that goes into it. It's meant for kids or adults, or it takes maybe 10 to 15 minutes to play. It's pretty easy. It's in a small box. Um, that's kind of my, uh, w- that's what I want to approach with this, with my game design is uh, accessibility, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the case of making these games, it seems like the the creative component is is only one part of um, making them, of, of running the business, of producing them and manufacturing them. Can you talk to just about some of the logistics that have gone into uh, starting this as a business or like marketing the games or producing them? Like, are you making them by hand or? Um, I'm getting a lot of the, the pieces from different printers and sourcing is something that I kind of really enjoy doing. I think a lot of people would find it really mundane, but I like finding uh, the right price at the right quantity. And I also have experience from that handling the visual side of our band's work for so long, mm. where I'm sourcing our merchandise and our t-shirts and stuff. From that realm, I can I can go back to someone who I know does screen printing and say, hey, okay, um, yeah. I'm doing another endeavor and I'm, I want to screen print a game board instead of just getting a cardboard uh, play mat. So I have like a special, unique um, uh, artisan thing that's different it sets me apart from other games on the shelf so are these contacts in a lot of cases that you've had from your music career or how are you sourcing or even yeah it it comes from it's sort of hard to keep track of how i know um someone or because the the lines get so blurry like this sort of thing um Mm -hmm. like the people my my friend uh john and jess they run a print shop here in grand rapids and i know them from just being in the scene for so long. Um, John used to be in bands that we would play with, and I, I've i known them forever. Now they run a print shop, and so when I need a board game to be screen printed, I hit up them, and then I can go drive 
uh, half a mile or whatever to go to their print shop and pick it up too, which is really nice. It's all um, local and they, they do a great job. They are my go-to printers. And so I, I know them because of music, but I also know that of their work from printing and the whole thing is very uh it's like what came first the chicken or the egg you know Mm -hmm. everything's just there yeah it also seems like there's this theme through all of the work that you do of um being primarily self-taught or just having a love for playing games or, or reading comics and then at some point taking that step of wanting to make them yourself or understand how they're made um, which is really interesting. So I'm curious, is most of that just a result of a self-motivation or did you have any uh, like external factors or like mentors who were encouraging you along the way from the point when you were a kid and just kind of drawing on your own to, you know, eventually these things evolving into um, a really big part of, of who you are and the work that you do? Um, that's a good question. I'm sure that there were people in my history that I may not be remembering now who kind of fostered that in me. But I think a a big part of it is growing up in a place that you don't really like and you aren't very popular. And so you have an interest and then that interest becomes a hobby and then that hobby becomes a skill. And then from there, your skill, I guess, becomes a profession in a way. Um, Mm-hmm. And they were th- these sort of snowballs that rolled and rolled and became mm-hmm. these boulders of my uh, adult life that I didn't really expect or or chase when I was a teenager or even before that. They just sort of happened because I did them enough. Um, and I I think I would mostly I, I don't think I would actually attribute it to work ethic or like personal drive as much as it's just kind of how my mind works. If I enjoy something, I want to know why. I enjoy it or why that thing is good or better than something else. Mm-hmm. And that, that sort of examination leads me to trying to replicate it, whatever that factor that I uh, identify. And, and there are, uh, I, we, we listed a couple things that I liked and then got to do, but there are plenty of things that I liked and was no good at and didn't chase any longer. So mm-hmm. do you have uh, any stories about things that you kind of tried to do and just miserably failed at or like lessons that you just had to learn the hard way um just last year we want the horror stories all the bad stuff this is uh, (laughs) this isn't the worst this is kind this is gonna sound boring i think but just last year i wanted to try sign painting and like i i've been into hand lettering for a few years and i see on instagram often um people who do hand painted signs and this sort of like throwback style um of lettering that I really like when I see it in the wild. And I go, okay, I... Have you seen that documentary called Sign Painters? Um, I haven't watched it. I I want to. Um, I think it just came out like within a year or so ago. Well, maybe not now. <laughs> yeah, maybe now it'll hurt a little bit to watch, but... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I guess I should wait to fit- hear the rest of the story. <laughs> I, I bought um, some brushes and some one-shot like enamel paint and tried it wasn't any good at it. I, I And I think I have a, a basic grasp on hand lettering and I really like doing that stuff um, digitally and doing vector work and Adobe Illustrator. But when it came to me doing it on a vertical board with a brush in my hand, I didn't, it, it didn't click with me in the way that a lot of other styles have clicked with me in the past. And the one shot kind of just got this soup skin on top and this 
I just don't, I, I didn't try it ever again. <laughs> I think that happens to all of us. Like there are definitely projects that I thought I was going to get into when I went and like got all the materials that I needed and like planned for it. And then I made one thing in that way or, or you know, with that equipment or style or whatever. And I was like, well, this sucks. And I am not going to commit to learn to do this better because I'm already terrible I always terrible think if I make a financial uh, investment into the, the trade that that will be enough for me to be like, don't waste your money. Now you have to get good at this. <laughs> but when I got that sign painting stuff, I probably spent 20 bucks. And I think I got $20 worth of um, pleasure out of the experiment, <laughs> I guess. But well, uh, at least, you know, now, yep, it's not my jam. And there are people who are very good at it. And I really like watching them do it. But it's not going to be something that I think I can do. Yeah. yeah. I always when wish you know, you know, I could paint. Yeah, but I can't. But oh well, such is life. Yeah. I'll just keep sewing shit to other stuff it works. <laughs> it does seem like there are so many other examples in your life, though, where you've taken something or you started to learn it and then you've really just run with it, um, where I feel like your whole career as a musician and a visual artist is really this great example of, of really just following your interests to see where they lead. Um, because like you mentioned, I think so many people, uh, whether it's, you know, when they're kids or at some other point along the way, they just sort of stop learning or pursuing that thing. Um, but what I, again, think is just so interesting is that so much of this for you has been self-educating yourself over time and, and looking for, you know, people that can help make a project happen or um, just teaching yourself that the skills that you need in order to do the project that you want to do. Um, are there any any other places, either in general or maybe specific examples you can think of, of um, like resources that you'll turn to when you're you're embarking on a new project. Um, yeah, I actually was into taking classes on Skillshare for a while. Um, oh yeah, I did that for maybe a year or two, and that's where I got all of my fundamental calligraphy and lettering education. Was from paying whatever like nine dollars a month to have access to Skillshare. There's a lot of I love YouTube for educate. I mean, there's anything on there let me stop i was gonna say i love it for educational stuff but i also love it for just watching people other people play <laughs> video games or whatever uh it's it's great but can't mean um, whatever yeah anything you can come up with i really do appreciate that if there's something i'm curious about and i want to know how to do it there's 99 times out of 100 there's someone who knows how to do it and has made a video almost welcoming you to that world and saying Here's how I do things. Here's what you kind of need to get started. And then there's further education if you want to chase it. That's really great. Skillshare was that too, but because Skillshare is a paid service, I think that it's a little bit better curated and, and more purpose-driven. Whereas obviously on YouTube, anyone can put anything up there. You could have, hey, here's how to get into sign painting. And then it's just someone who isn't qualified to teach you those things or they're giving you the wrong information. Um, Skillshare at least was I, I from a trusted source. I could see their work as an educator. The people taking the classes kind of riffed on each other. There was a um, sort of social element to being a member of that website mm -hmm. where you're doing the homework and then other people are also doing the homework and you can kind of like chat or comment on one another's work and grow from that experience. That was really nice. Yeah. 
Do you have any other resources that you'll use to help you figure out like how to price your work or how to like figure out where to get pins and patches made or, you know, anything beyond um, that? I found that a lot of people ask me for those um, for that information mm-hmm. pretty regularly, at least once a month. Someone will say, hey, where do you get your stuff made? And yeah. I just pass that I mean, information I know I on. Have. <laughs> and somewhat, I've asked other people in the past. Um, it becomes a sort of if you know someone, then ask and they'll tell you sort of deal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I used to just kind of shop online and I would just look for hours and say, here's a factory that's doing X units at Y price. Then I have to factor in the shipping and the time and all that stuff. And I kind of would, I I enjoy doing that. I was into math when I was in school. And I think that kind of scratches that itch a little bit for me to, to like compare numbers and and chase um, not just the best price, but like these kind of ethereal factors of this might be a better deal, but the quality will be slightly less, or this might be a better deal and it'll take two weeks longer to get into my store. And then what am I losing by not having new products in my store for two weeks? That sort of thing. Um, I enjoy crunching those factors and trying to make something happen. I don't have go-tos. I'm not loyal. I will find the right person for the right job, um, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to things in my web store. But when it's something on a bigger scale, like with bands work, um, I do have go-tos. We have had the same people printing our merch for, uh, I, don't, I don't know how long, seven years or something. And those people, you, you form relationships. They know what you want and they can um, have it in queue before you even ask for it, that sort of thing. So depending on the project I do and don't have go-to resources, a lot of the time I will be looking at another one um, while I'm emailing the first one to see if I can get something more favorable for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice that you would recommend to someone that is trying to get into kind of uh, art for music, like someone that wants to be designing album covers or merch for different Oof. artists and bands? Um, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I have to kind of, I feel like I have to choose my words a little bit here. Because I see more often I see people doing it in ways that I think are bad or wrong. And then Mm -hmm. if I were just me as an artist, I could say, hey, don't do this. But because I'm on both sides of this coin where I'm also a member of a band. And then if I said that I would be speaking on behalf of other people, I can't Mm -hmm. really do that to someone. Um, I would say don't do work. If if you want to be a artist, even semi-professionally, don't work for free. That's my number one. I see kids do it often and they'll say, hey, I did this project. Do you want to buy it? That's a bad pitch because you already did the work and most of the time they don't need want or need to buy it. Um, And it drives me crazy to see people doing that. I don't have um, like positive advice, like do this thing instead because I've just kind of been in it too long maybe to understand how to break in. And I think a lot of my work is the result of uh, uh, having done my own projects, a lot of speed included for having done uh, most of our merchandise and record covers and stuff for the last 10 years, those t-shirts and projects and, and whatever they're out in the world. So someone will say, Oh, I like that lot of spew shirt. Um, I want to get a design from that person and then they'll hire me, which is great. But because I 
have just done my own projects for so long, I've kind of built my own in. I, I kind of cut the line, you know? I don't have to chase a band and say, hey, I want to do your project because yeah, I am the band and I'm the designer. Worlds. Right. So yeah. a lot of the freelance work that you started to take on, it sounds like it just ha- developed really organically from being a part of that community. Um, and was that also because you had already been building up this portfolio of work, like all of the work that you'd been doing for yeah. your band was was basically what you had to show to other people to say, here's what I could do for you? And that's still a major component to my portfolio. And uh, if someone went to my website, adamxvast.com, most of the work that's on display there is Lot of Speed work because that's my best work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's mixed in with freelance work and, and commissioned stuff that I've done for other clients. But the work that I'm most proud of, as I am both the designer and the client for those projects, I get what I have in mind, you know. And uh, because of that, because it's uncompromised visual work, those are the pieces I'm generally most proud of and, and want to display. And then because I believe in them, people see them, they typically in, think that I did a good job um, and then will come back for more. It becomes this sort of loop. So what percentage um, of your time would you say now that you're more semi-permanently living in Michigan um, what percentage of time are you devoting to music versus your new gaming business versus your freelance um, illustration or design work? I think it it wavers a lot, even week to week. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I have a game coming out next weekend. So that's been a major focus for me for the, the last two months between designing the game and testing it and then getting it manufactured and all that has been a focus of mine. But then when the game comes out and I don't have one in the queue, um, I can kind of take a step back and I'll, I'll probably do some more music stuff at that time. As for freelance design stuff, it it's good when it's good and it's bad when it's bad. Um, I'll go a couple months without having a gig and then sometimes I'll have six gigs at the same time and it's a little bit difficult to juggle, but it's hard to nail down. And then I also have my sort of personal projects and my um, the web store that I run where I sell prints of my work and pins and patches and that sort of stuff. That's kind of ever present. Probably two to four times a week I have to pack and ship orders for that. It's just another facet of all of the things I've got my hands in. Yeah. Yeah. What do you sort of see for yourself then um, in the future, even like a couple years down the road? Do you really enjoy having all of these uh, multiple projects and things going on simultaneously? Or are you hoping at some point to sort of shift um, and, and dive more into one thing in particular? I like having a lot to do. I don't like being bored or feeling unproductive, I guess. But I don't often work on one thing at the same time as another. Like I think it maybe is just portions of my brain that don't work in in parallel where Mm -hmm. if I'm writing songs, I can't put the guitar down and then go to my desk and draw. Like I, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, The inverse, if I'm playing games, if I'm building games, I can't then go pick up my guitar and be like this. I'm about to knock one out. It's just, (laughs) I'm in the zone in one of the many things that I'm interested in. And I think I maybe go pretty deep into that zone 
to the extent that it's difficult then to transition into another one. So, and, and this isn't just um, hour to hour. I'm talking maybe a couple days where I'll just write songs and a couple days where I'll just paint. And mm-hmm. I like that I can shift those things. I wish I was a little bit better at being able to shift more fluidly and do just pick up a paintbrush after I put my guitar down and kind of knock one out. I haven't found that balance yet. And I don't know that I ever will. I don't, I think that's how my brain works. But, yeah. Um, do you think it's important to have all of those different things going on? Almost like each creative venture is its own form of escapism from the next thing to from, be able yeah, to like. Totally. It, it's very much that way where um, if I'm trying to write music and it's not working, I can try something else. And I think uh, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where they were just hobbies that became skills. But I used to just draw for fun. And then I started to get paid for it. And then I used to just play music for fun. And I started to get paid for it. I think there still is totally an element of fun in each of those things. And I have to divorce the idea of it as work from uh, the concept of creation itself, I guess. Or or um, of art. I can't think of it like, well, i got to go finish this project for this client. It's, I have to want to make something and then it happens. Yeah, this is, I think it's pretty standard, especially for creatives with multiple passions. Like I know, and Nicole and I have talked about this, like there are days like if I'm working on stuff for the podcast, I can't even think about working on anything for Close Call Studio. And if I'm like trying to take photos, I can't go back into sewing or, you know, thinking podcast stuff, like I have to definitely separate them. And it is sort of a whole day thing. Like if I start a day doing work on the computer, I cannot work with my hands that day. Or if I start working with my hands, all of the like, emails and whatnot on my to do list, like, they're not happening that day, I start sewing, it's over. Yeah, it is a different brain. And I like you really enjoy the admin side of that you know what goes into your creative work but i also mm. have a hard time shifting gears in an hour it's interesting people I, um you hear about like left and right brain and people who are calculated and methodical and then people who are kind of like free thinking uh ethereal thinkers and i love both of those things so much i love math and angles and and that sort of thing when i'm doing design work i will take a protractor out and be like, oh yeah, baby, that's a 30 degree angle <laughs> or, or, or whatever. Uh, I, and, it, and it's super interesting to hear someone else say that they like doing the sort of like business or um, logistical part of it because that's rare. I think a lot of creatives just want to be creative and then they maybe fumble when they're forced to do business work or something like that. Um, and I think I thrive when I, get to find that marriage of the two concepts. Yeah. Uh, So you do a lot of work on your own and you also do a lot of collaborative work. Do you have a preference or you like to have a balance of the two or one is just a means to the other? Uh, I like the balance for sure. Um, I think a lot of my work that I do alone is out of necessity sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to Snow Day, the, the game, I... That was the first game that I designed, the first game that I planned on releasing. 
And uh, so I couldn't afford to get anyone else involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did it effectively all on my own because I didn't know anyone who would be willing to take that gamble with me. Yeah. And now that I've, now that I've got three games under my belt and I have a few friends here that are also gamers or artists or collaborators who are interested in um, teaming up and doing future work together, then I think that will go a little bit smoother because I do have the experience of having done it myself and I understand what my role is and what what someone else's role might be in that process because I have done that role myself. I think the same is true when I do graphic collaborations. When we've worked together, I can help you get the thing that I want because I have had to get mm-hmm. that thing on my own before. And yeah. uh, I understand both sides of, of that dynamic. And uh, and not that it's self-serving and that the, the project needs to be what I want in the end because it, um, in the couple times that we've worked together, Amanda, the mm-hmm. result has been a hybrid of, of your and mine. Uh, yeah. Our our concepts of what we're trying to manifest. Um, but because I have done all this work on my own, I think it makes me a better collaborator. And then when I do collaborations, it helps me reshape what I know of doing work on my own. So mm. having both, I think is super important. Yeah. And I guess for those that do not know, a few years back, Vass and I worked together on uh, the album cover for Rooms of the House, one of the La Dispute albums. And we also worked together on the tiny dots, uh, I guess, visuals for the for that video. Yeah, well, the DVD and then it ended up being um, inside the DVD as well, where it was the packaging design, um, mm-hmm. the tour design around the DVD release and even the like the, the menus on the disc itself. Um, mm-hmm. It ended up being quite a layered in-depth project. And same with yeah. Rooms, where, you know, I got... And Rooms was such a nice experience because I got to physically be there in Baltimore and we would work on it in the same space. It wasn't just emails. Mm -hmm. But um, that project very much was like the truest collaboration I think I've probably ever done where Mm -hmm. you had ideas that informed my ideas and became a, a loop like that. And the end result was not what I pictured but it was better. Like it nailed the idea in a truer way than what my initial brainstorm had come up with. Yeah. And it was, I mean, on my end, it was such a great experience to do a collaboration like that, like to see your concept sketches translated into my photos, translated into your kind of editing and manipulation of those photos. And it was such a great experience to see my work pushed in new ways and even doing the like the handmade visuals that also went into the photos it's also just great to have a really nice beautiful documentation of my old apartment <laughs> <laughs> yeah there there's a lot of it especially in the book um we did that book yesterday's home that was a companion mm-hmm. piece to rooms of the house and there are a lot of uh interior shots of your old apartment in that book yep. Yep. Are you talking about Biddle Street? Yes. Really? Yes. (laughs) All right. And that's the apartment that Nicole and I lived in. Yeah, for background, which I have fond memories of us living together. But the apartment itself, mostly after you guys moved out, just seemed very bleak. So 
Yeah. It, it might be really therapeutic for me to see this project that you guys worked on to try and bring up some of those more positive <laughs> memories yeah. of the space. I think we must have met one time then when I was there. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I lived... Okay. You were there for like four or five years, and I lived with you there for the last maybe two years or like year and a half. Um, Rooms came out in 2014, so we would have been shooting in the mm-hmm. fall of 2013. Or maybe you were there then. Yeah. Yeah. So did you live in Baltimore at one point, Adam? Sorry, I didn't. I, no. <laughs> I was just there a lot, I feel. So you guys have um, just met on tour at different occasions? Or uh, I, I guess we probably should have yeah. started with this. Um, <laughs> maybe. I kind of pieced it together, but <laughs> now uh, I have some so questions. So my husband, then boyfriend, Mike, is in pianos become the teeth and pianos and law dispute have toured together a bunch and beyond that uh vass has gone on tour with pianos a bunch of times to do merch or tour managing um and so Mm -hmm. one of those times i think it was shortly after mike and i met he went on tour for like a month and a half possibly almost two months and you did merch for like i think the second half of that tour and so I must have met you at one of the shows, but I think our friendship really began when we started collaborating together and we would just always send each other our work and get feedback. And um, we had plenty of things in common, being artists and loving music and also both being vegan and, and both being very obsessed with quality coffee. Uh, so we just had a really great friendship and then it benefited us both so much artistically as well. Sorry, Sprout is uh, s- scratching on her post right now, so I'll wait. I know, if you see me keep looking around, it's because my dog, Remy, is like doing stuff around my feet and I keep trying to tell him. But as long as there's no it. sound when I'm talking, this is all about me today. <laughs> I know we're interviewing Adam, but... It's your show. It's my show. This yeah. is the Amanda show. I, I, I mean, both of you. Like, both. I guess Amanda Christian show. Right oh now. my gosh, Amanda. Amanda Bynes. Where is she? <laughs> Not well, last I heard. Yeah, I don't want to look up the answer to that question. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I saw that one picture of her in the blonde wig, and I was like, oh, she's not doing so hot. This is like, oh, man. This is so like Britney with the umbrella era kind of bonkers. But, you know, whatever. We've all had our times. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I would have. I definitely have had my times, my my Britney with an umbrella times. <laughs> I, and to circle back to what you were just talking about, there were definitely my sort of like mental breakdown times when I lived in Boston, where I would then take a mega bus and go to Baltimore for a week, and that mm-hmm. happened more than once. Mm-hmm. And I think that also was um, uh, sort of. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but escapist for me to be a part of social circle of of everyone um not just pianos but um all of the extended gang and and people Mm -hmm. who are close friends of mine now um i kind of weaseled my way into that from being from from putting myself in um that world but it, it is funny that you asked i have never lived in baltimore i probably have spent a collective uh couple months there though between yeah uh, your apartment and Kyle Lauren's house and and wherever else I could crash for a while. There was um, 
a lot of time that I got to spend there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I have no problem with that. Yeah, it worked out great. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any advice that you would like to share to an artist or a musician that's just starting out? Or perhaps a younger Adam? (laughs) Okay, I guess to both of those, this applies. (laughs) And um, I listened to a couple of episodes of the show before, and I think one thing that's interesting that we didn't really dive into because I think I maybe just have too much going on and, and we had to um, ration the, the thought train. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of financial responsibility and that mm-hmm. being a major Thank part of, um, of what you should be aware of as a budding artist, especially one who's starting out, a thing that I wish I had told younger version of me, and I w- will thusly be telling uh, younger versions of people listening to this show, uh, <laughs> is to put is to invest money. I wish I just like, and now there's so many ways to do so. And Nicole, you were talking on a past episode about um, the app that either yeah, you or your great. friends were working on. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. ha- having um, those be made available to millennials is such like a important and crazy good thing that's happening right now um i use a few apps for uh investment and stock trading and that sort of stuff now which i think a younger um punk version of myself who was living in squats just to play music would shudder at but (laughs) if i didn't do that i wouldn't be able to afford to buy a house uh you know i uh wouldn't be i wouldn't be able to afford to live a sort of actual adult life I would still mm-hmm. just be kind of living in someone's attic, eat, eating their pizza crust or whatever. Uh, I think <laughs> the ability for my money to make more money is such an important thing I never considered before, even probably like two years ago. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's also a focus for us, obviously, is wanting to talk with artists about how they make the work that they do. But a really big part of that that is not often enough talked about, I don't think, is the financial end of it and just how you're going to live a sustainable life. And, you know, part of that comes through your your income, whatever kind of work you do, or if you work a day job. But another big part of that has to do with um, maybe other ways that you're letting your money work for you, um, whether it be through investing. So I love the hustle. Yeah. I I, I love my store. I love doing orders and stuff. It's not enough to make my full-time job. And then I love touring and making records and stuff. And we are lucky and and we worked super hard for so long that it also sends me money. But then if I just go and buy more board games, uh, then it was all for not um, to be wise with what you do with it is such a, a thing that you obviously learn as you get older and it becomes more important. If I had taken my first couple payouts from touring, which didn't start until probably four or five years deep into having been a touring musician. Mm. Um, If I even put a thousand dollars into some kind of investment account um, back then, uh, I would, I would be very much more pleased with myself now. (laughs) There's the sort of thing. It doesn't happen fast, but yeah, it's uh, slow a slow burn and if you're patient and if you just don't look at it that's my secret i guess uh i put a bunch of money into an investment account and then i deleted the app and then i'll i'll like re-download it every couple months to check on it and it's still in there and it's all good 
but that way I'm not checking it every day and just wondering like why don't I have why don't I have money right now? Um, because mm-hmm. it's such like a weird volatile thing, and I don't think I totally understand how it works or what I'm doing with it. But I know in the couple years I've been using it that it has for sure granted me dividends, which is really great. Yeah, and just even by doing that, you're already ahead of you know such a large percentage of people totally so I, thank you i tell my friends it. pretty often like uh and, and it's very casual we'll we'll be out um at a coffee shop or whatever reading comics and i go yo i just put in x dollars on this stock you should jump on it and i probably maybe not qualified to make those assessments but having that conversation with people who i know who are 22 23 years old who are now like oh, I could get into buying a stock. I never thought about that when I was younger. And I love it now. It It's also one of the sort of things that that scratches that itch of my analytical and mathematical side of my brain. Uh, I like yeah. looking at the graphs and projecting values and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah. it doesn't hurt that then I can, if I'm doing a good job, um, those can be my car payments or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask, when was the last time you had a day job? Or have you had a day job? Uh, I guess there's two answers. And, and um, I have had day jobs, but it has been quite a long time. When I was 19, so 10 years ago, I worked in a screen printing factory for about two years. Um, I was making five fifteen an hour. And oh at the God. time, that was the minimum wage. So effectively nothing. That's also before taxes. So, you know. You so you were actually anything. paying them to work there. but Yeah. <laughs> I worked 10 and a half hour shifts uh, four days a week. Oh, my just, God. Just uh, cooperating a print machine. It wasn't hand-pulled screen printing. It was automated. And I worked a machine effectively uh, with the next youngest person who was 11 years older than I. And he was cool. His name was Junior. And he got Junior. me into Bon Jovi. But that's a whole other story for another time. <laughs> story for another time. Um, I quit that to move to Grand Rapids. That factory was in Indiana where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. I quit there. I moved to Grand Rapids and uh, was in the band pretty much right after I moved here. I did work at Best Buy for one week. And... <laughs> I worked two shifts. Um, I wanted to be in sales, but they put me in the warehouse. So I would show up at 9 p.m. when the truck showed up, and then when the store would close, we would put all the stuff on the shelves. I said, I want to work in sales. And the guy, the manager says, sorry, there's no sales positions open. And it was all, it was like it, it was in a TV show or a movie. The door behind him opens, and there's like eight people coming out of the new employee training room. And I just go, well, then where the hell are they going to work? And then I left (laughs) and uh, never went back. I think I maybe got a paycheck from Best Buy. Yeah. It's satisfying when you get to burn a job like that, though. Like, well, fuck off. I quit. Yeah, I didn't care from day one. And that was probably eight years ago. Um, Yeah. And uh, like I said, the band didn't start paying until probably four or five years into touring. That gap was just me living uh, a life that I could afford to live for a couple mm-hmm. years. And usually yeah. that entailed me living in someone's basement or attic 
And then two months later, I'd have to move out because they were going to have someone who could pay rent or they were going to move out. And I just was collateral in that instance. Um, Mm -hmm. I was on food stamps for a couple of years because I couldn't Mm -hmm. afford groceries. I would live in a squat with like nine other dudes in a two bedroom house. And that was probably uh, seven, eight months of my life. Um, Yeah. All the while I'm doing that, we're touring I'm starting to get my name out and doing design and I'm doing the hustle. I'm mm-hmm. I'm working. And I think I'm lucky that I have that sort of um, commitment that I'm willing to live that way. If it facilitates a future lifestyle that I w- am chasing. Mm-hmm. Not everyone mm-hmm. can do that. Not everyone could stand to live in some of those places that I lived in, but yeah. in long term that, totally worked out. Yeah. And I think that says so much about the drive of a person to be able to kind of envision your trajectory and say like, okay, I know this is where I intend to be. So I'm going to live on the absolute bare minimum now in order to do everything I can to get there. And I think that also is a great thing for young artists to hear um yeah it's not a yellow brick road or anything that i took to get here yeah 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 i mean i remember it was before we were dating but there was a a house that several members of pianos lived in that they referred to as trash house because that was essentially what it was (laughs) and uh i think you i mean clearly you've come so far since then because now like i said earlier you just bought your house and that's incredible. Mm-hmm. And like now you're taking such strides to secure your financial future and to also just continue to creatively push yourself. So good yeah, on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good yeah, thing to keep really. in mind because I'm in a sort of happy place right now. And for me to foster that and make sure that I have that moving forward, I need to take care of it in the moment. Um, buying a house is not something I ever thought I would do and certainly not something I thought I would do alone and in my 20s. But I've done it and it's cheaper than my rent payment. Going forward, it's something that I won't have to worry about. I won't have to find a new apartment when this neighborhood gets priced out in a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another investment that you've now made. Yeah, my dad did real estate and and uh just sold some apartment buildings that he was part owner of. And he's super pumped that I'm investing in housing. He's been telling me for 10 years and I've ignored him for 10 years. And now I've got (laughs) one. So finally listen to pops. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see if he knows what he's talking about. Make your parents proud. True. Very true. So Adam, where can people find your work? Um, The various channels uh, that you're involved in, your music, uh, the gaming company, and then your personal work. Yeah, there's um, obviously quite a few uh, places to go. Um, List them all. We'll put them online. Yeah. Firstly, uh, lawdisputemusic.com. And uh, that's the hub for all things Law Dispute. Um, Obviously, our music is on iTunes and Spotify and Wherever else you want to find music, it is likely there. Uh, I also am playing in a band now called Mush. Uh, and our first release is, is coming out this July. 
that's something I didn't even touch on. I just got too much stuff going on. But uh Yeah, but, I didn't uh, even I got, know to ask I don't even, about it. Yeah, I have been playing in this band in Chicago for the last year called Mush. Uh M U S H. And we have uh some stuff coming out in July. It's a four track uh demo that will also have a tabletop game included in it, which is Oh my gosh. That, yep, I'm working on I it. I love right that. Now. That's the perfect example of you synthesizing yeah. <laughs> these very diverse creative interests. Um, Mush does not have a website yet, but hopefully when that comes about, you can, I, and I, um, it's a word that I hope is maybe Google friendly. Just put Mush in there and see what happens. But uh, then for my games. Yeah, is Mush.com available? Probably not. We had, to, we had to do Mush with three H's on Twitter and uh Anyway, for my games, I am World Champ Game Co. Um, the website is worldchampgame.co. Uh, and I am at World Champ Game Co. on Instagram. And lastly, for my own work, you can go to adamxvast.com for my portfolio work. And I'm at adamvast on Instagram. And uh, I, post, I post my work pretty often. I try to find that sweet spot of personal and professional on Instagram that I think everyone's kind of chasing. Um mm-hmm. And when I, uh, it's sort of bleeding into World Champ stuff right now. As I have more games coming out, I use my personal account to kind of try to bottleneck people towards the games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all there's all sorts of places you can find me. If you if you uh, type Adam Vass into Google, you probably will get a professional soccer player with the same name in Hungary. I got tagged. Oh. Uh, in a in a soccer photo just today from a soccer fan <laughs> in Hungary. Heyo. So uh, Adam X Vast, the X is for straight edge, is is my brand. My branding. How incredible would it be if you were also actually the soccer player? There's this whole other layer to your life that we did not even talk about. Yeah, I am. The, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to put it. He doesn't look too good. He's got like some gnarly dusty. tattoo work. I think last I think he has a face tattoo and like that's fine but his are his are his are uh a little crass he's not a a sharp looking guy you know that Adam Bass is gonna listen to this and he'll be like that other Adam Bass is a real (laughs) asshole I've got to be honest I've wondered if he knows about me because when I google my name I come up oh so maybe when he googles his name (laughs) you come up yeah. I think he comes up. I think Google knows who <laughs> each of us are, and they curate it accordingly. Yeah, I think you're I know right. there's uh, definitely a more famous Amanda Adams in the world. Uh, well, there are several, many of us, but there's one that is a <laughs> yeah. fitness model, and she's real cute and fit, so world, if you're Googling me, you're finding <laughs> a much more attractive version. Um, and then for a while, and I have not found this since, but in high school, I ran across another Amanda Adams that was like an 80s pop singer that did not really have any success. However, there was an amazing photo of her lounging on a tiger and it's casual. It's beautiful. Was it your MySpace profile pic? No, but it should have been. (laughs) 
I'll I'll try to find it. If I can find it, I'll add it in the notes. If I can't, then I'm sorry, guys. I think hopefully my description was enough. <laughs> and we'll be sure to include images of everything we talked about. Do you have any questions for either of us? Um, nothing comes to mind. Well, this uh, is boring. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're running just a little over an hour, so that seems like a, a beautiful note to end on, some of your last sentiments. Yeah. And usually Amanda and I will just kind of let the recording go, or we start it before we actually start, and that way we always have you know, extra a good nugget in there. Yeah. 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 I like a nice funny sound bit. Oh, you got to. (laughs) Yeah, I do. It's good to laugh. I don't know if you know that about me, but I like to laugh. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a doubt in my mind that there's some, some laugh chunks in that recording for sure. Oh yeah. Pure gold somewhere in there. Definitely. (laughs) You just got to be that podcast prospector that goes through it for the next couple days. That'll be my title, Podcast (laughs) Prospector. Yeah, if you want to get business cards with that on it. You need a clip art of a prospector with his pickaxe and like... Yeah, I'm picturing some guy with like a big white mustache and a huge like, you know, bowl hat. And he's holding like a little little pan. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Adam. This has been really insightful. It's been good getting to know you a little bit since I know you and Amanda have had a a long history of friendship. Yeah, it was rad. This was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> cool. All right. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our email list where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. If you're listening to this episode via iTunes, we'd love to ask you to give us a rating and a review because it really makes a big difference. The more reviews we get, the more people we can connect with, and the more we connect, the better we get. And we're trying to get real good here. So please hit us up, let us know your thoughts, and we'd love to hear from you. One, two, three, go. go. Nicole, did you say go? <laughs> no, but I was thinking it. <laughs> <laughs>